Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and thanks for joining us today with Back to the Bible Canada. This week, we begin airing Dr. Newfeld's series, Celebrating the Word of God. This 10-message series helps us understand and embrace the significance of the Bible to the Christian. So let's begin today with Dr. Newfeld's message, God Has Spoken. We're starting a two-week series which is all about the Bible. The program you're listening to is called Back to the Bible. I and we are convinced that the Bible and a verse-by-verse exposition of the Bible is the most pressing need in the world today. We also think that a proper understanding of what the Bible is and what kind of authority it has is the greatest question before the Christian church today. But why do we think that? You know, much has been made of the idea of the silence of God. A number of years ago, when Mother Teresa died, her diary, which she wanted destroyed after her death, was kept and published. The diary, consisting of letters between her and her confessor, revealed that for nearly the last half century of her life, she felt no presence of God whatsoever. You know, much has been made of that. To many atheists, this was proof positive that there is no God. One atheist even said that Mother Teresa was like the archetypal country and western song of the woman who holds a torch for her husband 30 years after he left to buy a pack of cigarettes in the corner store and never return. God wasn't there, said the atheist writer, and he wasn't coming back either. But others have argued that this is not an uncommon experience. It's a dark night of the soul in which we are called upon to trust in him in spite of what our eyes see or fail to see. You know, I'm reminded of a song written by Andrew Peterson entitled The Silence of God. He writes, it's enough to drive a man crazy. It'll break a man's faith. It's enough to make him wonder if he's ever been sane. When he's bleeding for comfort from thy staff and thy rod, and heaven's only answer is the silence of God. Interestingly enough, there are places in the Bible that actually sound a little bit like that. Consider Job's complaint in Job 30 verse 20. I cry to you for help and you do not answer. I stand and you only look at me. Or think of David's complaint in Psalm 22, verses 1 to 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. You know, the marvelous thing about Scripture is that it does not hide these kinds of experiences. The Bible expresses and evaluates how to respond in these moments. I'm not here to comment regarding Mother Teresa's experience. I'll let others do that. But I do notice that the experience of dealing with the supposed silence of God is not an unusual experience. You and I may have noticed the possible responses to this. One response is that of the atheist. God is silent, they say, because he is not there. But the atheist can't make his case on the silence of God. God may choose not to speak at various moments because he's God. And he, as God, can choose if and when and how he chooses to speak. And the atheist needs to answer a much greater and more perplexing problem. The fact that something exists, that creation itself speaks of a creator, is a problem that atheists have never answered. I've long suspected that atheists attempt to get around the question of creation by constantly trying to deflect the conversation to another subject matter, but it simply won't do. But still, we are struck by the phenomenon that we do not perceive God, neither on most occasions do we hear his physical voice. 
I know that there are some that argue that God is always speaking through mystical experiences. You know, some argue that internal voices in our head and out of our emotions are the voice of God. But the problem with that is that they reduce God to subjective inner experiences. The problem with much of this kind of talk is that in almost all cases, the voice of God sounds exactly like the voice of ourselves. Indeed, when we go this route, we betray that we are actually only worshiping ourselves and not a being that is greater than we can imagine. I'm reminded of Isaiah 40, verse 25, in which he says, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Or consider Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. See, God says that the highest thought that I have ever had falls infinitely below him. Now, please don't hear me arguing that it's not possible to hear God speak experientially. I am, however, arguing that what is desperately needed is an objective way of determining the voice of God, lest all this talk about the speech of God simply degenerate into a matter of conflicting opinions. Because I am convinced that conflicting opinions are simply discussions about us and what we believe and not about God and what he has actually said. Well, you can probably guess where I'm going in this matter. I'm going to argue that God has spoken and that he has spoken objectively and the record of his objective speech is the Bible. And if you never hear God speaking subjectively, that is in your head or in your heart, you can build your life on the objective word of God and reading and studying and gaining inner conviction of the truth of this one thing is the speech of God. And not only that, it is the speech of God to you personally. And before we move to that, I want us to spend some time examining a passage of scripture that will set the stage for our two-week study. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 says, Long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He, that is the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, from this passage, I want to point out three things. Here's the first of them. God speaks. In fact, he has always spoken. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God has spoken. The first order of celebration is that God has not been silent. He has been speaking and speaking to us. Now, we might wonder what this passage has in mind, but before we answer that, let's notice that for the writer of the book of Hebrews, the really overwhelming thing about God is not his silence at all. It is rather that he is constantly speaking. He is here, said philosopher and theologian Francis Schaeffer. He is here and he is not silent. God has spoken and we can hear if we will but listen. But how is God speaking and how has God spoken? Well, says the writer of Hebrews, in many ways and at many times. And again, please don't let this language immediately make you assume that what he is suggesting here is thousands of subjective experience because he is not. And as we can see from the third verse, one of the ways that which God is speaking is in creation. According to Romans 1, creation declares several of the invisible attributes of God, namely his eternal power and his unbounded wisdom. The day in which we live, which allows us through the Hubble telescope to see the grandeur of the universe, helps us to see how small we are. And yet, the God of creation holds all of this in the hollow of his hands. 
Isaiah 40, verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. See, much of what that passage says is that God easily stretches out a single hand and measures the universe. The majesty of the Creator is, of course, greater than the creation. See, whether one looks into the cosmos and reflects upon the vastness and grandeur of it, or looks at the smallest subatomic particle and considers the complexity of life here, whether in examining the creation and coming to the realization that one looks at is in fact design, or whether one spends several days camping out in nature every way and in every day, the heavens declare the glory of God, and day to day creation pours forth the speech of God. Just like a painting whose design reflects the work of the artist, so creation is the speech of God which every human being has heard. God has spoken in creation. But God has also spoken in setting eternity in our hearts. I mean, that's what Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says, that God has put eternity into every man and every woman's heart. That is, there is an inner sense that everyone has that speaks to us of God's existence. You know, I've had conversations with Chinese people coming out of communist China in which, from childhood, they have been taught official state-sanctioned atheism. And yet they've told me that they've always sensed that God was there. I remember speaking to a Chinese young man who had just come out of China, had walked into the church in which I was pastoring, and the first song that he heard was, He Knows My Name, and he started to weep. You know, I don't have to prove that God exists. It's a universal human experience. Humanity will always wrestle with an inner awareness that God is in fact there. See, when we come back, we'll speak of other ways that God speaks, and we'll consider how the Bible is indeed the speech of God. But for now, let's contemplate this truth, that everywhere we look, whether we look outside and see the grandeur of what God has made, or look at our internal experience and recognize an internal awareness of God, God is right now speaking to every single human being. As we begin to study how and why the Bible forms the bedrock of our faith, this passage in Hebrews is so helpful. From it, we can understand and know that God indeed has spoken and He is not silent. We see it reflected in His creation and in a sense of eternity that God has placed within every person's heart. And we can discern the reliable and objective voice of God that emanates from every page of the Bible. When we come back, Dr. Neufeld helps us discover even more ways that God speaks to His people through His Word. Today we want to share a unique opportunity to impact our nation and the world with the Gospel. The world has come to our doorstep and never has there been a greater opportunity to share the Gospel to all those who are making Canada their new home. Back to the Bible, Canada is launching its new international ministry initiative, and it begins right here at home with the daily Bible teaching program of Dr. Neufeld, translated into three key languages beginning with Mandarin, and to be broadcast online through podcast and mobile application, the most accessible mediums of our day. Your support allows the launching of this new initiative to a national and global audience, and today, the impact of your gift can be doubled. Your international gift this month 
will be matched up to $25,000 by others who share our vision for Bible teaching and the desire to maximize this great ministry opportunity around the world. So call us today with your gift at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. God is here, and He is not silent. And according to Hebrews 1, He has spoken at many times and in many ways. We noted that God has spoken in nature, and He has spoken in such a way that every human being has an inner sense of God's existence. But we know that God has also spoken in our conscience. Romans 3, 12-15 speaks of God's law written on the hearts of all people with our conscience, sometimes excusing and sometimes accusing us. There is an inner sense of right and wrong in all, not just what I think is right, but that some things are right and wrong in and of themselves. And this is the whisper of the voice of God. Of course, conscience can be distorted and twisted and confused, but even in the confused conscience, a remnant, a whisper of the voice of God, the God of righteousness, remains. The voice of creation, the eternity in our hearts, the sense of conscience. But this is only the beginning of God's voice. God has spoken far more clearly than that. Hebrews says that God has spoken to our fathers in the prophets. So that's the second way that God has spoken. He has spoken to the prophets in the past. If you're unfamiliar with the Christian faith, let me explain that. When the book of Hebrews says God has spoken to our fathers by the prophets, he's referring to a history of God speaking through appointed spokesmen of God. The Bible actually contains passages taught to help people to discern or to be able to make a distinction between the true and the false prophet. Let me suggest to you at least four identifiers to help people discern what is true from what is false. First, a true prophet of God, when speaking about a future event, must be right 100% of the time. Deuteronomy 18 verse 22 says, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is, a word that the Lord has not spoken. Clearly, God knows all things. Even the future is completely known by God. So when it is truly God speaking, it comes true every time down to the details. A second sign of a true prophet is found in Deuteronomy 13 verses 1 to 3. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, gives you a sign or a wonder, and a sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. We might call this second test the theological test. There was a continuity between all prophets. The same God who gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai was the same God who spoke through one of the ancient prophets. God does not at one moment condemn the worshiping of other gods, then in the next breath affirm it, as if God can't make up his mind on what is true and praiseworthy and what is not. So there's a consistency in the message of all true prophets. And so a prophet might add to an existing revelation, giving progressively more insight into what God had said, but no true prophet would contradict or cancel out a previous message from God. 
God is consistent and doesn't say no at one moment and yes at another. He does not contradict himself. He does not deceive us. God is not wrong about something that he said at an earlier time. All true prophets affirm the words of God spoken in the past. Now, that's so important to hear, especially in our day, where so many are interested in the latest revelation about something and therefore forget what has been said in the past. We listen to the latest prophecy, but we have not listened to the counsel of Scripture and become an expert in it. Now, a third marker is what we might call the means whereby a prophet received his message from God. Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 to 12 says, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Now clearly here, the means of receiving revelation from God is at stake. God may speak to a prophet in dreams, or as in the case of Isaiah, who directly heard God speak to him, but there are practices connected with the occult in which God never speaks. God does not use witchcraft or seances or sorcery or the casting of spells. God does not use the reading of tea leaves or the using of a spiritual medium to get out his message. None of these things come from God and do not reflect the voice of God. And finally, fourth, all true prophets were to be evaluated in terms of their moral character. False prophets, according to Ezekiel 22, verse 25, prophesied for personal gain. According to Jeremiah 23, verse 14, they were known for their immorality. And according to Ezekiel 22, verse 25, they devoured human lives, were known for causing great harm to people. You needed to not only look to what they said, but you needed to look to how they lived. Wow, I think we should learn that today. Now, these are not only the marks the Old Testament gives of a true prophet, but we should begin to see a pattern in this. To say that God has spoken in the past through the prophets does not mean that everyone who claimed to have heard from God has to be listened to. Rather, It is to say that prophets presented in the Bible are those men who heard from and were inspired of God. This is the speech of God which forms a consistent, coherent, and life-transforming message. But of course, the writer of Hebrews is reaching for a climax. In these last days, he says, the God who speaks, who has spoken in the past in many ways, has in these last days spoken comprehensively and decisively in his Son. The Bible presents us with a picture of the speaking God in which all his speech was leading to a final, completing word that takes everything that has been said before and brings it to a climax, to a last and final word. God has spoken to us in his Son. In other words, Jesus is different than any other prophet, any internal sense of God, different than God speaking in creation. Not just different, but superior. And how so? According to Hebrews 1-2, the Son is the appointed heir of all things, through whom the Father made the world. Furthermore, the Son is the imprint of the radiance of the glory of God. So, first, he is not a prophet. He's the Son. Secondly, he is not the one who speaks of the creation. He is the great creator. And thirdly, 
God has appointed his son as the heir of all things. Think about it this way. When my father passed away several years ago, let me tell you what I didn't inherit from my father. If dad had left a will and had said, to my son John, I leave BC Place, the CN Tower in Toronto, the UN Building in New York, and the Eiffel Tower in Paris, well, I can assure you that no one would hand those keys over to me. Even if I showed up with a a will and pointed out that the will was legal, I would not be given any of that because I cannot inherit from my father that which does not belong to him. But, and this is the key, God the Creator has never relinquished his right to his creation. All that exists is his by right, and the Father has entrusted all things to his only begotten Son. Now listen, Jesus did not write anything in the Bible. Rather, he entrusted the writing of his revelation to men whom he had handpicked. And what they wrote was authentic in that it was accurate to everything that Jesus did and said, and the implications of what he did and said. And secondly, what they wrote added the complete and final word of God, but was also completely in line with and affirmed all that God had spoken in the past. And that's why for the next two weeks, we give ourselves to celebrating the Bible. If you want to hear God's voice and you want more than a subjective sense of God speaking, or you want to go beyond what may appear to you to be the silence of God, may we direct you to consider this amazing book, And in the next two weeks, we want to celebrate the speech of God found in the Bible. John, a great message to the beginning of a great series. And what comes to my mind, though, is we look to so many different places to place our confidence in uh, the teaching of the Word of God, including media. Do we have to be cautious? We sure do. I want to say there is good Christian media and there is very bad Christian media out there as well. And the bad Christian media continues to center around personalities, the latest revelation, somebody who's come up with a new interpretation of the Bible that cannot be substantiated, but it sounds so exciting. It's time for us to center into a plain, realistic, effective teaching of God's Word. Uh, That's where we need to be, and when we do that well, it sets people free and sets us on the pathway of truth. So I think I'm calling for God's people to be discerning. I think it's clear that as Christians, we need to make reading and studying the Bible a daily priority. God's Word is fundamental to our spiritual growth. Today, Dr. Neufeld has helped us understand that we can have full confidence in the Bible because it is authentically the voice of God speaking to us. I hope that today's message has reinforced the reliability of the Bible and that it's a true source of authority and revelation from God. Join us tomorrow as we continue this series with Dr. John Neufeld. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Recently, Sarah called to share... I've been saved for over 50 years, was just a little girl in fact, and Back to the Bible has been part of my life ever since. Since then, I've given to the ministry, even out of my allowance when I was little. Dr. Neufeld brings scripture to life. There is depth, yet practicality, challenge, but hope. The world has changed, yet Back to the Bible has remained constant in its values and teaching and has embraced technology while ensuring the gospel is not diluted. You do a marvelous work, and I look forward to hearing you every day. Thank you, Sarah, 
To know the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada is making a difference is a great encouragement. We'd love to hear from you as well. The Word of God is powerful and we're privileged to teach its truth every day. To touch base, to receive information, or to offer your financial support, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.